All right, this morning, let's begin with a quiz. A quick little quiz. It's a quiz about protection and what amounts to adequate protection. For instance, let's see, what you, see if you get this one right, a quiz. Uh, what kind of engine oil do you need to protect your vehicle if you live in the Midwest? Today, the forecast high is zero, which is ridiculous. Um, uh, what kind of engine, what, kind of vi- what level of viscosity do you need uh, uh, in order to protect your engine? Do you need uh, uh, conventional oil, premium conventional? Do you need synthetic, uh, synthetic blend? Do you know the answer? All right, how about uh, protection with regard to passwords? What level of protection, what kind of password do you need in order to withstand a brute force attack? In fact, I was reading this past week about a particular brute force attack that was designed back in 2012. Uh, this this uh, uh, graphic processing unit that was put together could bombard the potential password uh, with 350 billion tries per second. Unbelievable. Uh, what level of password? By the way, if you guessed 15 characters, uh, you would be right. 15 characters in the password. Who can remember that? All right, what kind, of, what kind of protection do you need when it comes to insurance? Like, could you just sit right down right now, fill out the whole form, and know what kind of protection you need for your car, your home, your, 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 your apartment, um, uh, your life, your medical, all that kind of stuff? Would you know the level of protection you need? Or do you have a guy? <laughs> do, do you have somebody that you turn to for all those answers? I've got somebody I turn to because I just don't know all of those things. All right, one more. What level of protection do you need to make sure you're secure against principalities and powers? Invisible evil beings. What kind of protection do you need? That's what we're going to talk about today. um, uh, We've been using the Heidelberg Catechism as a tool over the past month and a half as we've had this set of conversations which we call I Belong. It's our theme for the whole year, but we've called this first set of conversations uh, by that title. The Heidelberg Catechism, at least the first question and answer, um, it it goes like this, that uh, what is your only comfort in life and in death? In other words, what is your defining strength in life and in death? And the answer which we've been sharing is that I belong, body and soul, in life and in death, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior. The answer doesn't end there. It continues on. In fact, we find the words, at the cost of his own blood, he has fully paid for all my sins, which we just talked about uh, a week or two back, and has completely freed me from the dominion of the devil He protects me so well that without the will of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head. That I belong, and in belonging, that I have been completely freed from the dominion of the devil. That's what we'll talk about. So our passage is Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 15. We'll be focused on verse 15 uh, this morning, but let's go ahead and read the whole of the text, and I've highlighted verse 15 at the end just so we know that we're there. 
With your Bible open, and uh, whether you're uh, at home or, or you, you're here in this room, let's go ahead and receive the Word of God. We'll also put the text on the screen. Hear the Word of God. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised Him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. May God bless the reading of His Word, and may God bless our time together as well. Two things I want us to do. I want us to take a look at that verse 15 and grapple with what it teaches. And then I want to use some of our time to wrap up the series, to, to work on the application of this, of this uh, statement, I belong. So first to the verse. It's a tricky little verse from a, a, a grammar standpoint, but it's pretty straightforward in its teaching. So since it's straightforward in its teaching, let's start there. There are three things that we can take from this single verse. The first is this, that the power of the rulers and authorities has been removed. They've been stripped of power. Now, we might be asking, what are these rulers and authorities? What are these principalities and powers? Well, the Bible teaches that God is the creator of all things, that all things have been created by God. And not just the seen things, not just the stars and the planets and uh, the animals and, and the mountains and all those type of things, but these unseen things, that there are these uh, angelic beings, these heavenly beings, and that some of them have fallen. Some of them uh, do not cooperate with God, do not uh, pursue God's glory. There are these evil beings. In fact, for a, a little bit longer description of them, we can turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, but we're actually beginning in verse 10. And here's what we find there. Paul's writing and he says, finally, be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might. We'd be wise to pause there just briefly. Notice where the strength is. The strength is in God and in his might. The strength is in God and in his might. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Notice it's not our armor. God provides the armor. Uh, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And then verse 12, it says, 
For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly places. There's this drama going on. There are these evil forces, these cosmic powers uh, that um, would like to just mess with our lives. When we um, look to teaching that's already occurred in Colossians, we find out that we're already in the safe zone. Look, look what happens um, in Colossians. We we find in chapter 1, verse 16, it says this, describing Jesus, For by Christ, by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. So what we get from that is that Jesus and these evil powers are not on the same footing. That Jesus, by being creator, that that in Him and through Him and by Him, all things are created, everything that's seen and everything that's unseen. In fact, if we jump down to chapter 2 to verse 10, a verse we looked at a few weeks ago, it says, and you have been filled, we've talked about that, that we have been made complete in Christ, and you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. All rule and authority. So Jesus has, is being the one who's above all these things. We can count on Jesus being more powerful than any evil force, any sense of darkness. Now, we should note that there are places in the New Testament where this term, rulers and authorities, is used for uh, human government or religious leaders, but it's pretty clear in this text here that what we're talking about are these invisible forces. And here's what it says about them, that God has disarmed them. That in and through Jesus Christ, that these, these powers are disarmed. They lose their power. The, the word is a word that is often used for taking your clothes off, that you strip your clothes off. And what God has done is that he's stripped the power away from these beings. First point is the power of the rulers and authorities has been removed. Here's the second point. That God made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. You might think that we would hold on to the word triumph for our third point, but it's actually uh, caught up in this whole idea of a, of a public spectacle. The word for triumphing is this word where um, a, a, a victorious army parades back into a, a community, and the vanquished are a part of that parade, and they're shown on display. And so what God has done, it's, this is not something that happened in a corner and only a few people know about it and, it, and it's dark and it's secret and, and you have to listen to a, uh, someone who knows all about it. No, God's saying that just straight out, it happened in the open. A public spectacle, a, a parade of triumph. It has been done, it has been seen. That's our second point. It's not hidden you don't have to think that there's some kind of mystery or secretness to it. And then here's the third point. The triumphing took place in and through Jesus. That the triumphing, this, this uh, conquering, this, this disarming took place in and through Jesus. Now, I'm go I want to get 
I, I want to do some Bible nerd stuff with you, okay? So if you've got your, if you have your Bible geek hat on, this is the time to, to, uh, to wear that. So when I mentioned that this is a grammatically challenging verse, I wanted to show you just an example of that. And it has to do with just the last two words in the Greek of this sentence. All right, so if, um, and then we'll take a look at how some uh, different translations pick that up. In the Greek, we read, triambusas atus en ato. Triambusas atus en ato. It simply says, triumphing over them, atus, en, epsilon nu, ato. In, ato. So ato is this personal pronoun, and it's singular, and it's masculine which means it can either be translated as it or him. It or him. So some translations will pick up on the whole concept of it. For instance, the NIV. The New International Version, which, by the way, does a great job focusing on the meaning of a text, and they want to make sure we grasp the meaning. And so they come to this en auto, and they say, well, it's, it, it, it must be it, like it's this... Uh, um, uh, it's referring to something that happened before it. So they look for the antecedent. What's the noun that they could see that came closest to this auto and they're going to apply it? So what they do is they go back to the end of verse 14 and they find the word cross. That must be what this it is referring to. And they take the word cross and they apply it here. So in the NIV, we read that triumphing over them by the cross. Now, if we look at the NRSV, they also translate en auto as it, but they make you do the work for the antecedent yourself. They just want to put it out there as it, and then you do the work to find, well, what does it refer to? And so the translation, the NRSV, is triumphing over them in it. Now, the ESV, when it comes to this word, en auto, since it could be masculine, it, it's, it could be him, and they look at the whole of the text, verse 6 through 15, and they say, you know, one of the big themes of this passage is that things happen in Christ. There's, there's something about being in Christ in the phrase, in auto, has been used many times in the passage. And so they say this must be in him and just con, uh, continues and concludes that whole in Christ theme. And so it says in him. So they translate it by triumphing over them in him. And just to show you that the ESV is not an outlier, this is from the New American, the New American Standard Bible. And they translate it as having triumphed over them through him. They take the epsilon nu n and translate it as through. Okay, Bible geeks, you just had a little bit of fun. The rest of you are going, oh my gosh, that was a little intense. All of this underscores that in the work that God did in Jesus Christ on the cross, and then those who take the in him might also extend that to the, the uh, resurrection from the dead and, and, and the ascension into heaven. This is the public display that in Jesus Christ, in the death on the cross, in the empty tomb, in the ascension into heaven, that there's this public display that God disarmed the evil forces. So when it comes to protection, adequate protection, here's what we can know that the powers have been stripped away, that there's been a public display of the triumph, and it took place in Christ. So as it says in the um, Heidelberg Catechism, you, in Christ, 
belonging to Christ, you are completely freed from the dominion of the devil. Completely freed from the dominion of the devil. If you belong to Jesus, you have full protection. Now, I'm going to encourage you, we provide a study guide each week, and there's an opportunity to go deeper into some of the texts that would be associated with this teaching. And there's some application pieces to that as well. And I encourage you, make use of that. Here's what I want to do with the remainder of our time, however. I'd like to, to spend a little time concluding the series, especially answering the question, what do we do with this? I had a friend reach out to me this past week and said, oh, I'm struggling. What does it look like to apply this to my life? Let's answer that question together. First, let's acknowledge, here's what we've discovered. That when we say, I belong, what this passage has helped us to understand is what are some of the gifts of belonging to Jesus? What difference does that make? What, what, what comes along with belonging to Jesus? And we discovered that simply by receiving Christ, that God accomplishes these things in our life. He roots us and builds us up in Jesus. God takes care of that. When we receive Christ, we are rooted. We are built up in Christ. That's God's work. That we're established in the faith. Again, God's work. That we are filled. The one, that Jesus is the one in whom uh, the whole fullness of deity dwells. And that our relationship with him, by receiving Christ, we are made complete in him. We don't have to go looking for something else to complete us. That in Jesus we are raised. Are we expecting a, a resurrection in the future? A, a, a new world, a, a, a new heaven, a new earth? Absolutely. But we've already gone. If we've said yes to Jesus, we've already gone from death to life. We were spiritually dead. In Christ, we're made spiritually alive. We have been forgiven. We are protected. So how do we apply this? So first thing I would ask, or first thing I would throw out there, I think it's important in order to apply this that we acknowledge that we often allow other things to own us. If we're going to say we belong to Jesus, it's going to be helpful if we acknowledge that we often allow other things to own us, to own our identity, to own our hearts. Uh, others have said this before. Uh, we are owned by what we worship. We are owned by by what we worship. If we worship something, we have given ourselves over to it. I'm reading this book currently with some friends. Some friends invited me to, to uh, re read it alongside them. It's a book called You Are What You Love by James K.A. Smith. Uh, one of the helpful little things that he puts in there, he provides this definition of liturgies. Maybe you're familiar with the word. We've, all, um, uh, we've used the word around here before. It's a, we've often described the form of worship as a liturgy. In fact, sometimes higher churches are known, are known for having uh, liturgical worship services. But here's how he describes it. I think it's very, very helpful. Liturgies are rituals that are loaded with an ultimate story about who we are and what we're for. Liturgies are rituals that are loaded with an ultimate story about who we are and what we're for. He goes on to say that they carry with them a kind of ultimate orientation. Now here's, here's the helpful piece that he also includes in there is that, that it turns out that we embrace liturgies all the time, every day. 
we, we, are, we are given to liturgies, and sometimes we're not even aware of it. And if we want to apply, I belong, it's helpful to know what other liturgies we're participating in, what other rituals that are reinforcing a different story than the story that we have of belonging to Jesus. Let me give an example. We might be able to put a bunch of liturgies under the title of the liturgies of success. Now, don't mishear me. I'm not against success, all right? Don't mishear me on this. But maybe even when we were children, our parents, out of love, out of a desire, began to speak liturgies of success over us. They had words of, of encouragement and, and focus in our life. And, and then we were put into um, schools, and schools have liturgies of success, of, of achieving a certain level of competence and, and, and even standing out. And, and then we, we reward certain things and punish certain things, and these become liturgies we participate in. We have liturgies of success in terms of what we consume, and we go about these things every day not realizing that we might be participating in rituals that are trying to convince us of an ultimate story to inform who we are and what we're for. You take this whole concept of success and you compare this to what the Bible teaches. We know in the Bible that it says, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek. We know that, that the Bible says, um, that submit one to another out of reverence for Christ. We know that Jesus said that if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, you need to be the servant, the slave of all. And so if we look at these liturgies of success that we're handed and we experience every day and the story that they tell, and we look at what the Bible is trying to tell us and, and says about the ultimate story, and you can see the conflict that can arise. Let's look next at the liturgies of distraction. I think there's a bunch of liturgies of distraction that we begin participating very young in life. And again, I'm not against the things I'm going to list, but it's different when they become something that we participate without even thinking about the story that they're telling us or, or the identity that they're forming in us or the purpose that they're giving to our life. So whether it's um, uh, the distraction of TV or whether it's the distraction of a phone and how much time we give to it, well, everyone else does. And I pick it up in the morning. It's the first thing I look at. And then I, I, it's the last thing I look at. And I, I participate in the liturgy of the distraction. A story telling me that my time, I've got to use all my time and I can't be quiet and I've got to know the latest information. I've got to look at the next meme. I wonder what my friends are liking or not liking. And then you compare that to what the Bible teaches. And we know that Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of heaven. And we're called citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And we're called to be ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven, to represent the kingdom of heaven in this world, which is a whole different story. There's a focus on being people of the kingdom, not distracted, not given to anything that we might move into, but focused. Maybe just one more, the liturgies of rejection. Now, I bring that up and some of you automatically know what I'm talking about. Maybe from a very early age, you had words spoken over you of rejection. Maybe when you went to school or started interacting with kids your own age, that you found yourself not able to converse with them the way that they converse with each other. 
Maybe they just never got you. Maybe somewhere along in your life, you were violated. You were abused. You were harmed. And it gave you a, a story. It gave you a story of, and you've been participating in that liturgy for so many years now. Maybe you were passed over for a promotion. Maybe you're rejected from a friend group. And that liturgy, and we participate in our own minds, we participate and we rehearse it over and over and over again. Then we compare it to what the Bible says. And the Bible tells us that God loved you and loves you. And that while you were still working against Him, He sent His Son to die for you. That in Christ, he calls you an heir of the kingdom, a son and a daughter of God, a friend of Christ. So when we come to the question of how do we apply I belong, the first thing is to acknowledge that we're already participating in other stories. We're already worshiping other things, even if we're not conscious of it. And in those liturgies, they're reinforcing a story and an identity in a purpose that is counter to what God wants us to understand in Christ. So how do we apply it? We build liturgies into our lives that help us to embrace the God to whom we belong. We build liturgies in our life so that we can uh, be connected to that story and remember that story and be engaged in that story And let God tell us who we are. Let God tell us our purpose in this world. Inform that in us. So let me ask you, what rituals, what rituals can you put into your life, even this week, that can prioritize that that position for you so that you can hear from God that you are filled in Christ? that you're forgiven in Christ, that you're raised in Christ, that you're rooted, you're built up, you're established in Christ and in the faith. What rituals can you do, can you be a part of? Here at Northminster, we talk about the liturgy. Well, we haven't used that word necessarily with regard to this, but the liturgy of in, up, and out. It's not just a graphic. It's not just a place to hang different programs. They really are intended to function as liturgies, as rituals that allow us to engage the ultimate story of belonging to the God who fills and forgives and raises and protects and loves. So to be a part of the liturgy of moving in, to build friendships, to be in life groups, to be in 1820 groups, to to reach out to someone. If we're playing golf with someone, we don't just play golf, but we use that time to build the story, to engage the story, to remind us of our identity, to remind us of our purpose. We, We have the liturgy of up, that we put ourselves in God's word. We have our daily devotional. We, we, we attend a life group. We, we participate in a youth group or in a kidsmen group or or, or an 1820 group, and because we know, we know that that story, we belong, and we want to hear the story. We participate in mission program. We, we participate in out, not just for the sake of a program or to check a box or just to feel good about ourselves. 
we participate because we want to hear the story. We want to be formed by God because we belong to God. Listen, I know for me personally, I have spent way too many hours in way too many liturgies that pull my eyes, my thirst, my heart away from the story that God wants me to know and to live and to receive and to enjoy. And I want my going forward to be different. So how do we apply I belong? We orient ourselves around patterns and habits that engage us with our belonging to God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that in Jesus Christ we are fully protected. God, that we uh, have new life in and through him. That you have conquered uh, all evil. That even if we may sense evil in this world, even if we have a night where we wake up in the and we sense evil around us, we can simply call on the name of Jesus Christ. And calling on the name of Jesus Christ has so much power. And that we don't have to live in fear of having evil, having the final say, because you have already had the final say. And you have told us that we belong to you, that we are owned by you, that we are the sheep, and Jesus is our shepherd. And so God, help us to understand how we are already worshiping other things. Help us to see the other ultimate stories that are filling our lives, that are telling us who we are and what we're for. Help us to see them so that we can differentiate ourselves from them. And God, help us to engage you each day in silence and fasting and study and in friendship and in service, in community, in fellowship, so that the story of your redemption tells us who we are. The story of your sending Jesus into this world tells us what we're for. And we give you praise. Be with us this year as we continue to explore belonging to you. In Christ's name, amen.